Beer, 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 beer. Do you like beer? Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It. Happy Good Friday, happy Easter weekend, happy, happy Dingus Day, Dingus day on, on Monday. Yes. One of the bigger beer events and uh, drinking, frolicking, frivolous. Yeah. a nice Monday daytime off kind of holiday. And I think you can see that it's still pure because you don't see people out there with red beer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And please don't go there if you thought about it. I mean, we're already drinking beer that's kind of flavored of smoked sausage. So we're, <laughs> we're getting there. Yeah. Well, enjoy your Dingus Day. Be safe. And, uh, man, some Dingus Days years past. Let me tell you, it is a, it is a party. It is oh, an yeah. aggressive party. Yeah. Well, it depends on the crowd. That's true. You know what I mean? So for some, it's it was a aggressive eating. You yep. know what I mean? It's mainly in my family. Um, and, you know, if you're downtown Buffalo, definitely some aggressive drinking going on. Yeah. Uh, all right. So last week we talked about Grodiskis, if you wanted to brew for Dingus Day. So mm-hmm. if you are waking up today and joining us and thinking, are you guys talking Grodiski? That was last week. That was uh, last. You can find any episode on demand at ESPN 1520's website or WGR as well. So if you are uh, in the market for that, after this one, pop on there. And, yeah. uh, and it's just, just a good holiday beer. It's like Irish Stout or something like that. You don't just have to drink it on St. Patrick's Day or Guinness. Yeah, you can dink it all summer. It's a great, light, refreshing beer. Give it a try if you're out this weekend. Very good. All right, so this week uh, – couple things to let you know about. First, the Amber Waves of Grain, the AWOG Homebrew Competition. Today is deadline, deadline day. is today. So if you need some help registering, come on down. We can help you out. Um, otherwise, we'll be there collecting entries all day till close. Um, so today's the deadline. You have till close of business at Niagara Tradition, which is 4 p.m. to get your entries in. And we're doing our regular clinic where if you come in, you need some help getting your beers entered, we'll be there to help you. And no label on the bottle? No um, label besides the one that they... Have you print out? Gotcha. Okay. Because yeah. what I was blacked gonna, out caps, two 12 ounce bottles. And you can, uh, what I was basically going to ask is let's say I have a beer and I think, sure, I'll toss it in the competition. I can, I can black out a cap on anything and mm-hmm. put their label on it and, because maybe I didn't put it in a, a blank bottle to start with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I can I get you can around black that out in the any cap? Way? Yeah, and you can also clean off the bottle. So this is I label every single one of my beers that I bottle, um, and so that means come. Um, you know, competition time, I have to get all those labels off. And what I don't want to do is obviously what I would do normally to clean the bottles is put them all into a bin where I wouldn't know what was what and I would soak them off and be bright, right? So what I will do is I will take some warm water and a cloth and I'll take the bottles two at a time, my two entries. I'll wrap the cloth around the label, let it sit there for a minute while I'm finishing, yeah, filling everything out online. When I get the labels printed, I can then take off you know, my label, easily wipe it dry with a paper towel and go that way. You won't want to do anything to get the bottle warm because you could make your beer phenolic. You could reactivate the yeast. You can make it phenolic, diacetyl. You could, you know, lose some hop character, uh, lose uh, cloudiness if you're trying to keep cloudiness. So you want to keep the temperature steady. If you've already labeled, soak it with a wet, warm washcloth to get that label off safely. All right. The reason I was going to ask is, let's say I've got, I'm trying to think of a bottle that is, a little distinct like does dogfish head have a little you're asking for a friend here Jeremy? no 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 or, what okay I, okay I, what i'm really asking is if i have a bottle that i've made and i think why i'll oh, just toss in the competition 
dogfish head, they have a little like, like a, distinctive stuff on there. Yeah, I think, if I black everything else out and it's just like it's still a bottle, they're, they're, with you'll that. be okay. You'll be okay. okay. And, and because you know, like uh, Sam Adams, they have branded bottles. So do you know Fat Tire? We get that around here now. Um, I think I'm probably. Uh, notorious for well not notorious there's no way but I feel notorious for it they don't know at the other end but I always end up with a certain brand beer a lot of where mm-hmm. they don't fit into the cases that I keep around so I buy that brand of beer I clean off the bottles when I need them and those and the Sam Adams bottles because they're so thin are always the ones going off to competition gotcha so, so you I, can... I yeah and, and I say I always do that because I don't want those bottles in my regular circulation I would like my heavier homebrew 12 ounce bottles to kind of be the main ones in circulation but i always need new bottles so i end up cleaning out some old ones some from the neighbors some from myself and um yeah they're all over the place with the the style of bottles some of them very distinct um but yeah the judges will get around that okay good that's i mean that, that's, yeah. that's good to know and so, if you have a 16 ounce if you're something like that yes they will take it you know what i mean um but you don't have to Okay, you know, send that much beer. Okay, so if you yeah, if you've got a bigger one that you've put in a twenty-two ounce bottle, I mean, are you that, that They'll too? They'll probably still take it. Okay. It's getting a little excessive with the beer waste, there, right? You know? Well, I'm only thinking for people that maybe are weren't planning on entering the competition, then think today like, heck, I've got a bottle of yeah. stout that I can just do it. And here's the other thing too: if say say you did have something that. It took you out of a winner's circle for some technical issue. You didn't black out the bottle. You left some distinctive mark on there. It was the wrong size or something like that. You still get the evaluation. You're still going to get the evaluation. Yeah. They're still going to sit down with a flight of brewers, even if they do, don't do it in a main flight because something's way off, and they'll still give you a full evaluation of your beer. All right. Excellent. So that's the AWOG competition. The deadline is today. Uh, the competition is April 13th and 14th. The UniHa. Let's start talking about that, but that's almost a month away now, too. Upstate New York Homebrewers Association. That is a Rochester. It's a Rochester-based club, Rochester-based competition, and something special this year. They're in their 40th year. Wow. And that's that's huge. So they, they've been doing uh, uh, homebrew competitions a good 20 years before homebrew competitions were really even on the radar. Um, and, you know, they got popular 20 years ago. Then 10 years ago, you see, you know, them get popular again. Well, two decades before that, they were on top of it. Um we were a sponsor of the competition, uh, so it's Genesee Brewing Company, which I always love advertising. But it's another great competition, maybe not as big as uh, AWOG, but if you missed AWOG and you have some more entries or you do well at AWOG, you know, you can enter into this. Hell, with two weeks turnaround between the, the judging and the deadline, you could even get your recipes back and on like a pale ale, grow disky. Mm-hmm. You could make some evaluations, rebrew it, and submit it to Uniha. All right. So – May 2nd for Uniha, today for AWOG. Yep, are your... we are a drop-off location for Uniha as well. Okay, very good. All right, so what else is going on? In the store, you've uh, hop, hop rhizomes, we're still at that time We're waiting. I'm, I'm sitting there waiting for a tracking number at this point. You know, I'm planning some more myself this year, so I have a, a little bit more uh, glee and excitement going into the, the gardening season with the hop rhizomes. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know quite what they are, obviously hops are the bittering and kind of uh, aroma and fruit flavoring. Uh, agent in beer, but they're also a wonderful ornamental uh, vine. Um, So they are a perennial vine, and the above-ground portion will die back every year, and they do not root. So they won't dig into fences. They won't dig into your foundation or anything like that. They need a string to tendril around. They need something to train them. Other than providing them something to train on, they are a super easy plant to grow.
grow, and they flower big green and yellow kind of pine cone flowers. They talk about a lot right in the late part of the gardening season, in late summer, early fall, kind of when there's not a lot of else blooming anyway. So they kind of provide that nice look at the uh, end of the year. So even if you're not growing beer, or I'm sorry, even if you're not brewing beer, grow your own hops. They look nice. Maybe you can trade them with somebody for your beer. If you are brewing and you're a gardener, get some hops in the garden. For the four, you know, fifty to five dollars you pay for most rhizomes, you have a lifetime supply of hops. So it can save you a lot of money if you want to package them at the end of the year. But they're just nice to have around in the garden, um, and they can really cover up some ugly spaces. You know, chain link fences. You know, bad garage siding. Cover it up with some hops. Uh, and you'll never know the difference. Yeah, and they do well around everything else. You got it, and they do well in our area. So if you're listening way down in Florida or Texas, it might be a little bit harder unless you're in the higher elevations of Texas. So they actually like our climate. So they will do well here without a lot of a a green thumb to kind of push them along. Hop rhizomes, we're getting uh, getting to it. Uh, Crystal Steam Malt. This is one that I finally got to brew with this past weekend. Um, kind of one of the many beer recipes I put together that never got brewed in time for AWOG, so it will probably be going to Uniha. Um, but I did a pale ale with it, so a lot of people were excited about it. We've done some chewing on the grain in the store, but we haven't actually brewed with it. Again, it's not. How a, is it as a chew? It's a great chewer. Yeah. It's a great chewer. That's you know, and that shows a lot as a grain too. It's yeah, good just for eating. Yeah. Um, My wife, like, whenever I we went to a brewery in Toronto and they had you know, chewable uh, grain out there. And she, like, that hasn't stopped talking about it. Wants to go back to around Toronto yeah, just yeah. for that because... The spent mash can be really good, too, yeah. depending on the beer, too, is if you want to try a little of that. But we're excited about it. It's supposed to have all the caramel without any of the burnt um, because of the steam caramelizing process. Um, so that's out on the self, only available in a 40 Lovabon right now. Um, but we have it out there. A lot of people are giving it a try, and we should have a beer on tap soon for it. Very good. Uh Tax return season as well. You can uh, find people that are looking to spend a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. So what are your top options, top suggestions, or what are you finding people are using it on? Well, and do you want to know what, for the previous three, we talked about the uh, beer gun, we talked about the Fermonster, and we talked about the Grainfather. And those are actually things that um, I own that I could say, you know, looking if you're trying to spend a little bit of money and save yourself, you know, a lot of time and you're not looking at a kegerator, Kevin, um, you need to think about how to save your time and make your beer a little bit better. And the one thing that I have put off for years due to my own laziness is a counterflow chiller. And it's something that I'm thinking about this tax return season. So most homebrewers are familiar with the immersion chiller, the copper stainless coil that you just boil into the beer uh, and then pass cold water through it. I've always loved it. I've, I've used it to keep temperatures on mash. Um, I just hose it off at the end of every day uh, and then st- put it up to dry in a rack. There's like little to no work involved with maintaining a counter f- or a immersion chiller. Not so true with a counterflow chiller. So they're either plates or tubes inside a tube that uh, pass cold water in opposite direction as your hot wart to chill it down almost instantaneously. Initially, I never got into one because I didn't have a pump. So that would have been a big, you know, trouble trying to gravity flow, you know, through a counterflow chiller. Now that I'm getting a little bit older and I have to admit I own my own house and pay my own water bill, um, I'm starting to think about how much water I use for each batch, not only in the brewing, because I'm usually heating up 10 gallons the night before, um, to really only use about eight and a half in the brew. And, you know, the other two and a half gallons gets used for sanitizer and stuff like that. Um, but then when it comes to the chilling, I feel like I lose a lot of control there. And I can pre-chill with ice. You know, I've, I've 
rigged up a glycol chiller um, to my immersion before using an old refrigerator. Um, and I found that I was making life a lot harder for myself to use the immersion chiller to try to get the effect that I wanted out of the counterflow chiller. And so the counterflow chillers are much easier on the, the water bill, especially if you brew in a garage, which I want to do this summer more. Um, you have to deal with that water and where you're going to put it afterwards. Um, and it's going to save you a lot of time as well. Uh, as fast as you can pump it through there, we'll say 15 to 20 minutes of recirculation, and you're usually down to your pitching temperature. So you get a lot more surface area you know, out of that um, uh, those plates or out of a long tube inside a casing than you will just dunking your chiller in. So for this week, our tax return gadget is a counterflow chiller. I'm thinking about putting my finger on one and bringing one home. We have the Blickman, we have the Chiron in stock, as well as there's some other ones out there. Those are the main two. Uh, I'm thinking about going for the big boy for the Blickman. Even though I brew three to five gallons, I'm looking for efficiency. I'm looking for speed. I'm going to go for the big boy for the small batch. Gotcha. All right. Well, get those tax returns and uh, put it to good use. When we get back, we're going to talk about cleaning out those draft lines. A little bit of maintenance on uh, mm -hmm. today's show. Best practices in brewery sanitation and those draft cleaning lines as well. That's coming up next here on Niagara Traditions. Just brew it on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means... Either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Homebrewing Supply. 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. Welcome back to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White with Bert Deister. All right, so best practices in brewery sanitation. Yeah, so we have we have this conversation twice a year, once at the start of football season and once at, um, you know, kind of the beginning of summer here and, and updating and cleaning out your draft lines. And to give you a little heads up, uh, if you only think about it when we talk about it, at least do it twice a year when we talk about it. It's something that you should be doing more than, you know, once before the start of football season. It's something you should think about doing between every keg. So first of all, what are we talking about when we talk about, you know, truly sanitizing? Because it's really not just a one-part process, it's a three-part process. You have to clean chemically, you have to clean physically, and then you have to sanitize chemically. So you're really going to be putting three stages into the process. And what needs to be sanitized is everything that's ever going to touch the beer post-boil. So this goes for a fermentation equipment. And if you're doing, you know, your home draft, that goes for your, you know, uh, liquid lines, your taps, your faucets, you know what I mean? Anything that's physically going to touch the beer, your shanks as well. Um, and they need to be cleaned, rinsed, and sanitized. Otherwise, you're going to start to kind of build up a little bit of biofilm, and then that's going to lead to a kind of infection in your line. Um, one kind of thing before we get into this, no stainless steel or no chlorine on stainless steel is something that we see people ruin equipment with 
quick. So you may know not to just grab a thing of bleach and pour it directly on your stainless steel, um, but some of the cleaners that you may have that you may have been using on car buoys and buckets and airlocks and racking tubes had chlorine in it. It's a wonderful cleaner. It's a wonderful sanitizer. It will help oxidize your stainless steel very quickly and will kind of ruin uh, it in a couple of uses. So stay away from chlorine on your stainless steel. And it's also best to mix up your sanitizers and cleaners. So if you've been using Be Bright, switch over to PBW or, you know, a Super Flush every once in a while. If you've been using Star San, you know, use Iota 4, Sani Clean, or one of the other, you know, sanitizers every once in a while to mix it up. That will help get off, you know, different crud out of your line, but it will also help kill different microbes. So like the Star Sand doesn't do well against mold spores, um, but a lot of the other sanitizers like iodine that oxidizes organic compounds in it does. So switch it up every once in a while to a different cleaner, to a different sanitizer. So let's get particularly onto the draft lines. Now, the Brewers Association, so this is, again, we were talking about how they put in new guidelines. We'll see them kind of trickle down to home brewing competitions the next year to two years. They also kind of have uh, kind of best recommendations for cleaning out brewery draft lines. And it gives you, if you want to go check it out, a good step-by-step guideline or checklist that you could do, you know, every uh, couple of weeks to make sure that your draft line is in pristine condition. And if you are in the habit of replacing your draft lines twice or once a year, let me tell you that those are meant to be installed in the wall of a bar and left there for a decade or more. So you are not getting the life out of your draft line that you should. There's an environmental cost as well as a work cost there of you tearing apart your system, you know, every other keg to replace those lines. While they are cheap, it's a lot of work to get at them. So you want to try to keep them clean so you don't have to do that. So every two weeks, They want you to disassemble the faucet, black flush the system for 20 minutes each with a alkaline-based cleaner uh, and then a sanitizer. And then every three months to reduce the carbonates that build up from just the water and other cleaners, they want to give you an acid wash and something like citric acid. So we've talked about this when we talked about it when they first uh, uh, did these guidelines about a year and a half ago. And I think we both kind of looked at each other like, Yeah, I'm lucky to do a cleaning every keg. Um, And that bit me the other day. So I had a couple friends over. We went down to the basement to go have a couple of beers. And we had the IPA because that was the only tap that wasn't frozen. So a couple of weeks ago, I'd put on the IPA, cleaned out that tap. I just otherwise pour a beer every night, maybe give it a spray with star sand into the faucet if I'm lucky, and then I leave it. So what had happened is that little bit of sugar that was built up on the backside of the seal, right at the point of air contact, dried up and crystallized my plunger on all of my faucets, except for the one that I had just put on. Um, Now, what that kind of shows is that just doing that cycle cleaning without disassembling the faucet had saved that tap from getting this, you know, kind of crusty Mm -hmm. gum into it. So if I had just taken the extra 40 minutes, I didn't even have to be there, and did the other two taps, you know what I mean, I wouldn't have had to completely, you know, unhook the kegs, disassemble them, soak them, and then reassemble them in a rush while my friends were waiting for, you know, a nice cold beer. Of course, we started with the Imperial IPA and then worked our way back to the English Porter and Pilsner against the tasting order, but that was my fault. Mm -hmm. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Um, So 
clean them. When you're doing one, clean the others um, because it will prevent those kind of gum up later on. If you don't use faucet plugs, start using them. They'll save you from that same embarrassment that I had um, the other night. Um, again, those just cover up the faucet, prevent the humidity from escaping, and then prevent the faucets from kind of drying up. So if you're not doing that, do that already. Now let's kind of talk about if you have listen to the show now and you're opening up your kegerator and you see different colors in your lines, we can help you identify those different colors right now and kind of what your infections may be. And if we call this any part of the program, it is the gross out portion where we talk about the different microbes that can be growing in there uh, and that you're consuming to try to inspire you to clean these lines. So if you see white bits, those are usually yeast, and it's usually yeast that's flocculated and dried up on bits that were exposed to air. This is so that's relatively harmless, but you still have dead or you know yeah. you know uh, flocculated yeast cells sitting there, providing a medium, providing you know a growth site for other microbes, providing a food source. So yeah, it's so regular brewer's yeast, just precipitating, flocculating to your equipment. If you've ever racked a beer into a keg and started serving it when it wasn't quite clear yet, you've probably seen this because when you go to change your keg lines, every low part in the line, every, you know, flat surface, you know, horizontally gets covered with a little dusting of these flocculated yeast. And if you don't clean that line well afterwards, it will stay there from batch to batch and then it can get then infected by something else. Um, How do you tell the difference between, you say, the, the white white can be yeast and not just precipitate, right? Don't you sometimes get that in the lines too or no? Yeah, you can get that too. And do you want to know what? There's the kind of the same problems with the precipitates as there are like the kind of flocculated yeast. So not only does it provide the kind of a, a site, again, to kind of shield, you know, bacteria, other molds uh, from your cleaners, from the beer, which kind of, you know, also helps to keep the line sanitary. Um it does the same thing. You know what I mean? Different cleaners take them off, but it really is the same problem. It'll also screw up your flow rates. If you really let precipitates build up over time or, you know, yeast flocculate, even if you're using that kegging system every day so you don't taste a problem, you're probably having foaming problems just because the walls of your draft lines have become so furrowed that they've changed the amount of back pressure and they're not distributing it evenly anymore. You know what I mean? But you're gaining a couple extra pounds of back pressure every time. You know what I mean? You open up the tap yeah. just from that friction on the side. Yeah. So same, you know, same uh, different source, same problem in the long run. Um, if you have brown or black, you're definitely looking at mold, and this is where it can get uh, kind of dangerous. There are, you know, a lot of poisonous molds, and you hear the horror stories around black molds. And if you let your draft lines sit with air in them, so you didn't leave beer in there, you didn't leave tap water in there and you just left air in there this is often where it gets it and i've lost some keg lines from this before especially hand lines in my basement if they've gotten hung up near the sink and they were left you know without you know properly dry but not properly filled with star sand either i've lost some draft lines to black mold and it will very quickly grow inside your line now we'll leave this up to you but you can physically scrub it out and that should get rid of it so a good cleaner get a hose brush and scrub it out but new hose is like dollar oh, fifty and a hose brush is like six bucks so if you don't already own one you know what i mean if you buy one it's going to be saving you from that next emergency it's not really something that i would say every home brewer has usually when you see something that gross you just replace the lines so brown dark brown or black or blue those are molds 
get rid of the lines. It's just the easiest way to go. Mm-hmm. Now, if you see gray or a kind of a, like a tawny brown, this is probably beer stone. You know, combination of carbonates, yeast, um, proteins, as well as tannins, which is actually what's ca- causing the color change there. Um, this takes some time to appear, and if you're doing like a light bicarbonate cleaning or a super flush cleaning only, you might not get all of it. So, you know, after a year or two, you'll see it build up. And what you're seeing is a you know potassium bicarbonate. Really, the kind of precipitate is being dyed by the tannins from the beer, and because you're trying to clean it with a B brighter PBW, you're trying to clean potassium bicarbonate with more potassium bicarbonate carbonate and it's not working so you need to switch it up when you start to see this build up that's when they want to do that six month citric acid wash or some other strong acid to help pull these you know precipitates off if you don't have citric acid at home vinegar will work but the citric acid is actually cheaper in the long run so distilled vinegar will work if you have like people coming over for dingus day this weekend you didn't make it to niagara tradition today um, but citric acid is a lot better uh, and will work a lot better and really against all stainless and, and against anything where you're trying to build up a precipitate toilets kind of works like a food grade um I forget the name of the product, the calcium lime and rust. So it works in the same exact ways. And then the last thing that you see, if you see little bits of almost look like snot, you know, in the line, <laughs> and then you still try to try it and it kind of gets buttery or vinegary, or if you try it first and then you, you taste these flavors and you're wondering what's going on, that's a bacteria. Um, they've gone anaerobic. The beer's been sitting in the line for two while. You can also see the yeast produce some kind of off flavors here so you can see diacetyl uh acetic acid uh you know what i mean uh acetyl aldehyde from the yeast and this is from the you know yeast reworking in the lines you can also from bacteria then you're getting the acetic acid lactic acid or something like that so if your first beer is just sour and then everyone after it's okay that means you have bacteria that's probably living in your beer stone in your flocculated yeast in the line and every time you pull a beer you know what I mean? You kind of get the the nightly production of those bacteria, and then you don't notice it anymore. Um, if you keep up with cleaning your draft lines, um, it will have a noticeable improvement on not only the you know functionality of your kegging system, but the taste of your beer, and you will stop losing that first pour every night. So if anybody has a draft system, you come down there, you're kind of used to taking out that foamy kind of, you know, you know, flocculated first pour. If you keep good, clean draft lines, you'll be able to avoid that altogether. Um, we're going to talk about the different cleaning chemicals, and we're going to talk about a little bit about a uh, building your own draft line. You don't really have time for that, but if I have one last thing to say when working with draft lines and cleaning them is wear eye protection. Uh, you are working with some caustic chemicals, which we aren't always working with in home brewing. This is like the super flush, the BLC, and the different cold Uh, temperature line cleaners. So the cleaners that work aggressively in cold temperatures are usually the ones that are caustic, but none of them are good in your eyes. And if you're working with, you know, chemicals under pressure, you want to protect your eyes, wear eye protection um, whenever you're cleaning your draft lines. All right. Well, that's it. We are out of time. So we'll do those chemicals uh, maybe next week or sometime down the line. Sounds good to me. Sounds good. Enjoy... uh Easter and Dingus Day. Dingus Day. All right. Happy Easter Day. Happy Easter Day. Happy Easter. Happy Dingus Day. We'll be back next week on Niagara Traditions Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. 
been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It. 